Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody. This is Jeff Thomas, one of the hosts of the Generous Business Owner Podcast. And we've got a special treat for you today. We've got Dale Stockcamp, who is uh, a business guy turned founder of a of a wonderful ministry that uh, we support at our company and have uh, just benefited from. And I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing his story. He's married to Gail. They've been married for over 40 years. They have three kids. He had a very successful uh, business career and, and so forth. But I'm going to let Dale tell you all the all the details. So, Dale, thanks for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate being able to be a guest. I've listened to all your previous podcasts, and you certainly had some giants in the generous uh, Christian business leader community. So thanks for the opportunity to share today. Well, thank you for being here. And let's just jump in. Maybe tell us kind of where you grew up and what that was like, if you don't mind. Okay. Well, I was the last boy of four boys, uh, son of a uh, Lutheran pastor in Salt Lake City. Tough place to be a Lutheran pastor. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, moved up to Oregon when I was nine years old and have been here ever since. We should, we split time right now, my wife and I, between Arizona and Oregon and uh, enjoy being able to balance that lifestyle and been blessed, as you said, with three children and a wonderful son-in-law and wonderful daughter-in-law. And uh, we just entered uh, grandparenthood uh, 17 months ago uh, with a wonderful granddaughter, Nora, and have another one on the way expecting in October. Well, uh I, too, am a fairly new grandfather, and it has been a real joy to to have that addition, I know. And now we have something else in common. We both started our uh, careers right out of college at Arthur Anderson. I was kind of on the audit side. Now you were more on the consulting side. So tell us about that, that professional journey for you. Yes, I graduated from Portland State University and. 1981, and I wasn't quite sure what field I wanted to work in. So when I interviewed with Anderson Consulting, they said, you can get a taste of all sorts of industries and then specialize in one. So went to work with them, uh, got assigned a healthcare job on the first project and kind of stayed there ever since. But what a great company to work for and great training. And then after about nine and a half years with Anderson Consulting, I launched my own firm, uh, for lack of creativity, it was named Stockamp and Associates in 1990. And the kind of work we did is we would go into major medical centers and hospitals around the country, and we would spend about a year with that organization totally reengineering and restructuring hundreds and thousands of people's jobs, enabling it with better technology to improve the revenue cycle how they got paid for their services. If you've ever interacted with a hospital, your insurance company and a bill, you know what a mess that is. Very, very inefficient. So we would go in, restructure all of the processes, enable it with a lot of proprietary technology, which we had developed. And typically we could add 50 to $100 million, sometimes even as much as 200 million or more of benefit to our clients. We were blessed to work with some of the most prestigious 
hospitals and healthcare systems in the country. And starting in 1990 with just uh, me and as my wife Gail says, our golden retriever Chelsea and our six month old <laughs> daughter uh, Lindsay, we grew wow. up to about 400 people by 2008. Okay. So I just, we have a lot of business owners listening to this and they're probably thinking the same thing, you know, for whatever interaction we've had with hospitals. I'm just curious from a business standpoint, what are one or two, what are the key things you were doing? Was it the billing thing? You know what I mean? What what were the, like the biggest problems that you were yeah, sort of solving? Yeah, it was really the billing process. Yeah. What happens is there are hundreds of people involved in the process from when a patient first encounters the hospital to that final experience of care and getting the bill, right. the doctors, the medical records that do the coding, really on the front end with uh, the admissions people. And has the hospital done enough to get pre-authorization for procedures? Because if they don't, insurance isn't, they get rejected. Going, to, isn't going to pay that. And the big health care computer systems are pretty good at the transactional part of that mm. process, but they don't do a good job of managing the flow of work as it goes from one location to another. And that's where our technology came into play to make that more effective. The other thing we did is we implemented what we called as a stratified processing environment. It's a typical Pareto principle where 20% of the accounts represented 80% of the dollars. But it was amazing when you go into hospitals or for that matter, we've seen it in other industries too, people would treat that $100 bill the same way they would a $50,000 bill. And we implemented total different processes based on the value of the accounts. And it took a lot of training and teaching people to do things differently. There's just so much inefficiency. The other exciting thing is after we helped hospitals with their revenue cycle, they came to us and said, can you help us with patient flow? You know that if you go into a hospital a day and ask the executives at 5 p.m. who's going to be discharged tomorrow and when, they can only answer that with maybe 5 or 10% accuracy. Wow. And when you think about all the downstream items that need to happen from patient education, outpatient care lined up and all those things, you need to know that. So our hospitals came to us and said, can you help us in this area? And we were basically able to improve the patient experience and the capacity to see more patients by 5 to 10% just by re-engineering those processes. Well, one of the things I love about your story, as we were talking earlier, is, I mean, even from that explanation, you can tell you have this consultant sort of analytical mind that, that made you successful in business. And, and we'll get into, in a minute or two, the transition you had to sort of applying those God-given talents into the nonprofit world. But before we get there, you know, one of the things we're, we're always trying to do with this podcast is we probably got some folks listening who it's never a straight line up into the right. Mm -hmm. You know, there's yeah. always some challenges and setbacks. And I'm sort of picturing you with a six month year old <laughs> and your wife's like, wait, you had this stable consulting gig and now we're doing what? Yeah. Okay. I'm just assuming there were some interesting conversations that took place <laughs> between you and your wife leaving Anderson Consulting with now as Accenture and going out on your own. So was that a challenge? There was Maybe a, tell us a little about that. Transition. It was a scary time. I bet. On the one hand, I had an opportunity to 
go toward partnership with right. what was considered to be the best the safer firm option in the world with right. nice compensation. Exactly. Uh, and on the other hand, was the great unknown. Right. And we had saved and saved and saved up to that point in time. And we had $17,000. That's one seven, not seven. <laughs> and I figured out a way that that could last us 11 months. Wow. Although I was armed with 26 round trip airline tickets, because in those days, I don't know if it still is, but companies used to let the employees keep those tickets. Right. So 26 tickets and $17,000 to launch off on your own into the great unknown. But we trusted in God to provide and he came through in the most amazing way. We had our first client about two months in and of all places in Oxnard, California, never thought start the company there. Right. But uh, it, it was a blessing came through. Uh, but it was uh, certainly scary times leaping off into the great unknown. I just think that's so helpful that there are those moments where you're not sure yeah. what's going to happen and uh, trusting. Well, obviously, it worked out well. How many years did you uh, run that? that business had the company for 18 years and it's interesting because we always thought we were going to remain a privately held company and i say we because over the years i had given the majority of the company away to 15 other owners i yeah. believe nothing enables and gets the most out of a person than a, a piece of the ownership so we had always thought we were going to just be a privately held company but God created circumstances in the 2006-2007 timeframe where we gained great visibility throughout the industry. And the suitors started coming out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. and it caused the owners and I to look at this and say, you know, would we be better positioned to grow this to even larger scale with having some resources behind us with another organization or going public and looking at those and it led us to ultimately the sale of the company. And this is another thing of God's amazing timing and how it later, when we talk about mission increase ties in, we sold the company on July 8th of 2008. Wow. Literally a few weeks later with the crashing of the yes. markets, that doesn't happen or it maybe has half the value. And that allowed me to be able to take my portion of those resources and enable and fund mission increase to a much stronger, longer term uh, kind of financial stability. One of the things that I, I think is so great is that you've been through this cycle. I think we have a lot of listeners that are in the middle of the fight yeah. as business owners and are feeling called to be generous while they're doing it, but they're running the company. They maybe have other shareholders that might be competing interests. Maybe there's private equity funding, you know, and you've been through kind of this whole cycle, running the company, sort of making a transition out of a larger company, running your own company, and then now funding largely a nonprofit. So when you kind of look at that life cycle, you know, when you were in the battle running the company, were you, how did you think about generosity when you were in that seat? Yeah. yeah. We had good training, both my wife and I, growing up in a Christian home. Even though as pastor with four children, they did not have much money. You could right. always see your parents tithing and with first use of money. And same with Gail and her, her parents. She didn't come from wealth. Her uh, father was a uh, warehouse person. Yeah. And we were just taught early on. So Gail with her babysitting money, uh, yeah. tithing, me with my lawn mowing. Yeah. Money. 
And then as we grew our business, we just looked for those opportunities to also grow in our giving and grow in our impact as well. So I put it back to uh, just the good training and upbringing we had seen. So but, you really were trying to do it along the way. Yeah. But yeah. growing on an increasing scale and yeah. really the transformation that happened. And this is, I fought God on this one <laughs> originally yeah. on yeah. timing, but it's 1998. So I'm eight years into my company, probably have about 175 people at the time. It's a Saturday morning and I'm going to a part of the newspaper that I never do. I usually just flip straight through the sports section and somehow my attention was drawn to this article that talked about a foundation that had given a record $23 million away that year. I read on a little further and I saw that they had an asset base of $475 million. And I'm a real competitive person by heart. <laughs> Maybe it's my sports background from high school and that. It's also probably because with my healthcare company, we were competing against the biggest yeah. consulting firms in the world with tens of thousands of people, including my alma mater. My competitive juices got going on that and saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but someday I want to make more of an impact on giving than $23 million in a given year. And the Lord put on my mind and the Lord, I can't say that I'm like others where I hear the Lord speaking yeah. to me all the time uh, very clearly, but that was one moment. And I talked to Gail about it and said, I want to make at least a $50 million impact on giving some year at some point in the future. But I was going to park that till my <laughs> days of Company healthcare sold, consulting maybe, were over right? or some different yeah, event. Some day in the, the future. Time. But God had different timing hmm. in mind. We, about a year later, I was having a meeting with Ron Post, who was a dear friend of ours who we were supporting with an organization that's now known as Medical Teams International. Hmm. Ron's story is incredible. 1979, he's sitting on his couch watching the news and he sees the killing fields in Southeast Asia. And he's felt called to the Lord to lead his very successful development business, real estate development business, and start a ministry, which later would grow to a hundred million dollar industry. And Forbes magazine rated as one of the top disaster relief organizations wow. in the country. So we had been supporting Medical Teams International for a number of years and growing our support. Coming together for a meal with Ron, and I'm thinking he's going to update us on how we're doing on one of the projects that we were funding. He comes to me and says, Dale, I feel God's calling me to do something different. Um, there's so many ministries. And by the way, when I say ministries, I kind of interchange terms. I mean, like a nonprofit Christian organization that's serving and helping the needy. There's so many organizations that come to me and say, how did you keep your doors open? We struggle so much with fundraising and development. So that's the answer. I knew that if I was going to have the kind of $50 million plus impact that I wanted, it was going to involve human leverage. That just like my healthcare consulting company, anybody that you pay that's worth their salt is going to generate a 20, 30 fold return. But I didn't want that answer at that moment in time because I was busy with my healthcare right. company. But God said that was the time to start Mission Increase. So Mission Increase was launched in 1999. So we just celebrated last, in last month, our 23rd year anniversary. And 
we started it because we looked at these nonprofits that were out there. And what we saw is that God had called so many people to serve with great compassion, maybe in the inner city with the homeless or addictions or human trafficking, so many causes, so many needs, and people were called to that. And unfortunately, as much as they were compassionate and good and skilled at giving good care, they either lacked the time or the interest or the skills in the business side of their nonprofit. They did not know how to formulate a good strategy for growth. They did not how to formulate a good board, but especially if you ask most nonprofit leaders what they dreaded doing the most, it was fundraising and development. And that's because they had a secular scarcity mindset and a transactional mindset that if I ask you for $1,000 to give to my cause, I do it awkwardly because somehow you're going to be out $1,000 when we all know that the most blessed person in any giving transaction is the giver. So we also saw, and because of that, they had an unhealthy perspective on their donors and supporters. And we also saw in this in the communities we were looking at that these nonprofits were acting in an isolated way. They weren't even aware that people in their own cause, maybe it be life change programs were there, or if they were aware of them, it was almost a competition for what they deemed to be scarce resources. So we saw the need for a lot of help. And we started Mission Increase based on a number of principles. First of all, we were going to teach a person how to fish instead of just give a fish. We weren't going to just give a grant. We were going to teach skills. We were going to base it on biblically fundraising principles and that being a God of abundance. And we were going to also do our training and teaching when we're in a city in group settings where we bring the nonprofits together because they ought to be working with collaboration and synergy versus in isolation where they can get so uh, focused on themselves and lose the vision for the broader cause that they're working on. And we also wanted to focus when we worked with these nonprofits on how can we help develop new income streams? How can we develop potential for areas of income where they haven't been developing them to date. And we also wanted to provide all of our, our training and teaching without charge to those nonprofit leaders. They don't go into that for the money or the income. In fact, some, depending on where they're operating in the world, take great risk. We wanted to bless and encourage them by providing. And God's hand has been on mission increase. Fast forward 23 years later, we now have dedicated area directors in 23 cities across the country, serving about 3,000 nonprofits. The, um, in each city, an area director can work with about 100 to 150 nonprofits and help them grow. And it last year in 2021, when we added all the increased income together that these organizations had achieved in just one year, because we, we, I'm big on measuring. You don't improve anything that you don't measure. So we always look at the income of the organization when we started working with them. And we usually average that for three years so we don't get any kind of anomaly of an unusual year. And then we compare it to what is their income today. And in 2021, the 3,000 plus nonprofits we worked with increased their income by $475 million. 
And that's on an operating budget of about $7.7 million. Wow. Uh, I'm all about leverage, leverage in my giving. I think that if we're, and, and your previous guests have said it so well, so I'm not going to repeat, God owns it all. And he is a God of abundance. And we need to treat the resources that he gives us as how do we best steward those resources? So I'm a believer that if he's enabled you and given you the kind of resources to really make a difference, we need to live the parable of the talents with those resources. It's interesting that in our businesses, we all want to make a good return from our time and our efforts and the capital we put into it. And then when we do make a good profit in that, we come to people like you, right. <laughs> investment professionals, and say, how do I now make a good return on my investments? We've got to take that same attitude with our giving, especially if you've been enabled with the ability to make a big difference. So I'm always looking for high leverage points in our investments. I'm always looking for where can we make a catalytic investment, finding an organization that's maybe a diamond in the rough that needs a little help, a little investment to help take them on a quantum leap to the next level. So we're always looking at investing in how can we generate a new income stream? For example, do they have a good major donor program or do they have a person who writes grants and we might teach them skills because what they really need more than just a grant or a gift is training. Uh, teach them skills in those areas. And if we do our job right, that's gonna produce a sustainable impact for the long-term. The other principle beyond leverage and multiplication that I'm always looking for, and, and our dear friend Luis Palau used to always introduce me as Mr. Leverage. Yeah, that's um, funny. But the other thing that I'm always conscious of, and this is what bothered me about the um, that news article I read in 1998 and seeing that 475 million was sitting there. Urgency. John 435 and John 94. Both speak to urgency. And one, Jesus is saying to the disciples, don't say four months to the harvest. The harvest is now. And the other one is saying night is coming when we no longer be able to work. We don't know how long the Lord will tarry before he returns or how long we've got or the needs of the people. But people are hurting. People are dying. People are spiritually lost now. So in our giving, uh, we not only want a great, great leverage, but we want to act with great urgency as well. Oh, I just love it. Leverage and urgency. These are tremendous words. The, as I said at the top, one of the things I love most about your story is it's just so clear the consistency of the gifts you've got and how you've tried to actively apply those in business. You've used those God-given talents to run a, and build a successful business. And then really those same skills translating into your uh, work in the nonprofit world. And it's just so clear to me, you know, that leverage, you were doing leverage and urgency in business, but also in, in, in ministry. And, and uh, so I just, I'm just picturing, you know, we work with so many people selling their companies who want to be generous. And many of them do struggle with applying those same skills. And so I just think there's so, such, such a rich story there of, of how you've done that in such a great model. The other thing I love about your story is that you have really lived this life cycle of business. Again, uh, being at Anderson Consulting, having your own company, and then selling it. And one of the things we run into a lot, and we get a lot of questions from folks who they have that sale. Okay, mm -hmm. suddenly 
I mean, you can kind of poor mouth the kids while you're running the company because it's all <laughs> got to go back into the company. But suddenly you have a liquidity event. And, and it's a real challenge to deal with that, the family dynamics of that, how much goes into the nonprofit world, how much is enough for you, the kids, what do you do with the rest? How did you and Gail think through that moment? So 18 years yeah. into this, you have this liquidity event. How did you process that? And I really appreciate the insights that your previous guests have shared in this area as well, because we struggled with the same thing. And that is how much uh, do you share with the kids and how much do you dedicate toward more, even more important kingdom work? You know, for us, when it came to our children, we certainly wanted to help them in some key areas. First of all, with, with housing. You know, back in our day, and this is going to sound like walking to school in the snow. <laughs> Both ways. Yes. Uphill. Up, uphill. Yeah. Back in our days, when we first, first bought our house, it was like two times, maybe two and a half times income. our income. Yeah. It's nothing like that no, these it's right, days. You're right. I so feel for young people just trying to start out, especially when they're competing against other you know, organizations that are buying these to make them rental properties. So we wanted to help our kids with funds for a first house. Nothing, you know, enormous, nothing, you know, like a mansion or anything like that, but just to be able to help them. We also wanted to help provide some resource that if they wanted to pursue a passion that they have, we wanted to supplement that in a way that they wouldn't, whether it be ministry work, our daughter had her own clothing boutique. We have a son who's doing some great work in social impact and improving the lives of people around the world, but he doesn't do that for the pay. So we wanted to help them yeah. in those areas as well. And then I'd say, lastly, we wanted to help them with some fam what we call family values, maybe some resource to you know, let them take a family vacation like yeah. we enjoyed, or uh, even resources to supplement to help a parent stay at home uh, mm -hmm. with raising children. What I'm really happy about is our kids know that we have given much, much more uh, to mission increase, to other charities and that than they'll ever see or than they have seen or will ever see. And they're happy about it. And we're excited that they that that is the perspective that they have. And I give credit to kind of following the advice that some of your previous guests have said, too, where. They took them on mission trips early on. We took our kids to Oaxaca and they got to see the people living in the dumps. And that gave them a, a good, broader perspective on, on money. We're really happy that our kids have a healthy perspective on money. Some would even say a couple of them are very cheap. <laughs> yeah. we, we have one son and daughter-in-law that came to visit us and did about a 150-mile drive. And they took their older vehicle because I think it got two miles per gallon better on gas. So uh, we appreciate that they have a, a good perspective on that. Well, you've modeled it and communicated it. And these are the things we talk about a lot. Yeah. Um, that Those things are important and, and to be intentional about those things. Um, so, okay. So you, you look back over your career. You know, I love that you shared the scary times because I think that's real for mm -hmm. some people listening, driving in their car, thinking, man, this, this all sounds great, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the struggle. But we have other people who are enjoying some success and they're trying to figure out how to give back. And, you know, maybe they're 40 years old, they're 50 years old. They're a little behind you in the, in the process. You know, what advice would you have maybe for younger business owners who really have this seed of generosity inside of them 
you know, maybe some just advice for them and some practical tips for them. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate your asking that question because I was blessed to have some great mentors early in my career, particularly about the time when I started my company when I was 32 years old. And before I answer the question on generosity and how they might do that, I guess I'll share a a few other thoughts and insights that I have being (laughs) a little bit further down my career uh, line in that. And your previous guests have said it well. First of all, in terms of running a business, God is a God of abundance, and he's going to provide in his perfect timing and his way. It may not be the answer or the timing that we're looking for, but he, he will provide being the kind of business that I had where we were a classic consulting business. We had no ongoing revenues or income streams coming in. You had to sell that work, and then we put the majority of our work contingent on outcomes, we had a very unpredictable income stream. So there were years we were coming into this where we could have lost $20 million. Yeah. But we had to trust that God uh, was was a God of faith. Love it. I've already said the other piece about sharing ownership. Yeah. I think it's a big, powerful tool. Each company is different. Each situation is different. But I believe that's important. The thing I like to talk to business owners about is Integrity always has a dollar sign attached to it. Ooh, I like that. If you are going to act with integrity, it always comes with a cost. In our business, it may be how we measure, you know, project outcomes and results and base our contingency fees on that. Other businesses, it may be how you report your time. Sometimes it might be subtle. Sometimes it might be that you've promised this person who's developing their career this kind of experience on the next project, but you could use them in something they've already done very much before and they're expert on on this project and you make the decision, ooh, do I do the best for the person or do I best for the project and the outcome? And I'd like to say that we always made the right decision, but we didn't. But integrity always comes with a cost. The other thing I'd say to Christian business owners, you've got an incredible platform to share why and what motivates you and how you want to share the love of Jesus. Now, I know times have changed since I was in my business in 2008. And I had 400 people in my company. I'm sure people of different faiths, people of no faith, people maybe anti-Christian. But I still use that opportunity that's unique when you're heading your company up to say, you know, I'm not trying to proselytize you or bring you to my faith, but as the leader of this company, you need to know the principles that guide me in making decisions. And those are faith-based principles and sharing that. So we would have prayers, you know, in our company events. I wasn't going to be bashful. And I encourage people to not be bashful with sharing their faith. Uh, with their employees, particularly when you're leading a larger organization. Probably the most dangerous thing I ever did is one time in our company when we were having some real stress between management and employees and that and staff, I kind of did a Bible lesson on 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 18, which is very rich with nuggets on how to respect each other and honor each other and treat each other. And then the final thing I'd say on general business, we're talking about generosity here. You first have to be generous with your family. Mm. The stress and strain of operating and running a business is an, everybody knows, it's an all-consuming 24-hour day. 
seven day a week. You've got to invest in your family. For us, what it meant was we had to get out of the country. We had to unplug, not take electronics. And I know that that's really hard. Yeah. And just get away and be there as a family together. And you had to totally unplug. Other people might be better at compartmentalizing than, than I am. But by the time issues got to me, they wouldn't be calling me on vacation just to say what a great project outcome we had. Right. It was an issue. Right. We'd already right. gone through two or three levels. And so I would always be thinking about that and not being able to really focus on the family. So I literally told people when I left for vacation, I don't care if the place burns down, don't contact me. And you have to be willing to do that with your employees too. I remember I had a key executive in the middle of a big sale and he wasn't gonna take that break. And I said, I don't care if it costs a million dollars, you've got to go, you've got to be able to you know, treat your family as the top priority. Who should we be more generous to? And then with regard to your question on generosity, Again, if they're having a liquidity event, if they're having increased resources, look to how you can multiply and leverage those resources and always approach every day with how can I multiply the impact of what we're doing. I said earlier that Mission Increase last year generated $475 million in increased income. To me, stewardship begins in you every day. What you've done in the past does well, it matters, <laughs> but we've got to press on every day. But you can't do anything about the past. You can't. What you, you can you start can. today. And we could be happy and we could say, wow, cumulatively, mission increase has generated over $2 billion of income for our nonprofit partners. But we could be happy with that. But the Lord calls us to press on every day. And we've had wonderful examples. I think of our dear friend, Luis Palau, who spoke to hundreds of millions of people. And he was pressing on all the way to his last days with sharing the love of Jesus. We need to take that same approach. If we have a liquidity event or generate a lot of income, we need to say, how can we multiply the impact? So for Mission Increases example, our goal is a billion dollars of annual impact a year. That's what we want to achieve. We're 475 million, so we're maybe halfway there. We want to get to the point where we are generating a billion dollars a year or more. And I say we because we now have other partners that have joined us in this journey. That goal is important because we need to press on. It's a God-sized goal. If we accomplish it, it's not by human accomplishment. It's by something that God accomplished and achieved. And we want these nonprofits we support to serve hundreds of thousands of millions more people. At the same time, we are equipping them to better share the good news as they give their service to the people that they do. Our co-founder, Ron Post, said it best. He'd, he'd never want to see someone go to hell on a full stomach. We'd never want to take care of a physical, temporal, earthly need and not deal with the spiritual. So it's exciting, and we are expanding into new cities. You got you guys were very helpful in Houston. You helped meet David Weekly's challenge to the Houston business community, not only meet it, but so successfully that we have two area directors. We've recently joined and starting a mission increase in Memphis that was led by Dr. Orr with Brown Missionary Baptist Church, who combined with Alan Barnhart, one of your co-hosts, to bring mission increase into Memphis. 
And it's really exciting to see how these organizations bring mission increase to their city. When we go into a city, it usually happens that a group of families come together and say, we really want to transform and serve our city and transform it for the kingdom. It's usually led by a champion who kind of gets the people going. In this Houston's case, it was David Weekly. In Memphis, it was Dr. Orr who kind of started that discussion going. Uh, other cities like Columbus, it was the Durrell family and the Landis family, uh, just great examples. And what they do is they come together and they say, we're going to provide the funding for an area director. And the power of this is an area director can help with 100 to 150 nonprofits. What that allows the donors to do is to say yes to every request. Right. Because we know we're all overwhelmed. We don't have enough resource, even if whatever God's blessed us with to answer every quest. But what ministries need the most, even more than a grant, is training. So when you have a mission increase there, you can say yes to every request. The other things that people love is you work in collaboration and community with other people of like-mindedness towards these causes. And again, I'm all about leverage. So we always go back three years after. We'll do this for Houston as well, because David Weekly will demand it. (laughs) (laughs) And you will as well. We always go back three years later and say, what was the return on the investment? And it's always a 10 to 15 to 1 return in every city we go to. The other great thing, though, is when you bring these nonprofits together, they start to work in collaboration with Synergy toward cause that's important to that city rather than in isolation and competition. And what's really exciting is we're now bringing the churches into this equation as well. The churches and the Christian nonprofits, I hate the term, but some use parachurch organizations. They need to be working together. There's great synergy in doing that. And the business leaders need to come into this as well. So we're just, you know, really blessed when we see the whole city coming together. Birmingham's a great example. We're on a regular basis. The business leaders, the churches, and the Christian nonprofits all get together and say, what can we be doing to better serve our city? Well, Dale, this has been a lot of fun. We could go for hours on this discussion. I've got a thousand other questions that that I want to ask you, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have you back someday to cover some of those, but we'll definitely put links to uh, Mission Increase and how to get in touch in the show notes. And uh, it has been a joy. I met with uh, one of our Houston area directors for Mission Increase last week, and he's just so excited and the impact is is meaningful. And I love leverage too. So you're speaking my language. And, you know, we usually ask somebody, you know, after they sort of tell their story, what one or two practical tips are, but frankly, you've given us a bunch. Uh, uh, trusting in God to provide, willingness to share profits of ownership, the cost of integrity. I really like that. You didn't say it costs us something now and we get something later. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just a cost of being full of integrity. I just love that. Maximizing your witness opportunity uh, in, in a company and then investing in your family first, because I think it's easier for me and I'm sure. Other people that are driving down the road, I think about the business so much. Sometimes I don't take as much time as I should to to focus on the family and being generous with your family first. So I think I I just thank you uh, for the example you are to me. And and I know there's plenty of other folks out there feeling the same way. 
in business, you're a great example, but also in your giving and, and how you apply your God-given talents. So thank you. Thank uh, you. For, for your mentorship and your friendship and for being with us. Well, and thank you for uh, helping the Houston community with Mission Increase and getting the other Christian business leaders there uh, galvanized and supportive as well. We just, we're so excited about the future. We've got just real optimists. We got so many great organizations. I think of Peter Greer and Hope International, and I think of the Murdoch Trust, a great reputation. They, they, they're all supportive of what we're doing. Well, you know, we we're had, on a God-sized mission. You're exactly right. <laughs> we had Peter on, and, and you know, I think I keep thinking about. I wrote down "Rooting for Rivals" as you were talking. Yeah, you know, uh, it's just such a great book and a great way of thinking. And you're really living that out, and mission increases as well. So, thank you for being on. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. God bless. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.